everyone, and welcome to another episode of Book Goodies Author Series of Podcasts. My name is Deborah Carney. I am your host, and today I have with me um, guest author Greg Feistman. Did I say that right? You did, Deborah. You did. Awesome. So, hi, Greg. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you today? Uh, well, like you, we're, we're in the hottest day of the summer in the New York area, <laughs> and uh, we're, we're getting through, so the air conditioner is blasting away, um, but other than that, doing great. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself to the folks, let them know who you are and what you do and what you're working on. Okay. Well, I'm Greg Feistman. I'm the author of a political thriller called The War Merchants, which we can get into more detail shortly. Mm-hmm. Uh, my day job, however, is I'm an associate professor of public relations at Temple University in Philadelphia, but my writing background is long and varied. I've been a journalist. I was a playwright once upon a time. I uh, had a couple of shows many, many years ago off-Broadway off mm-hmm. in New York um, and have always been a writer. Um, obviously, a great did writing as a professional for a living, still do, um, but had never really tried a novel. So I wanted to do it really as a, originally as a test to see if I could do it just as a creative challenge to myself. And uh, about two years ago, The War Merchants was published, and I'm now uh, working on a sequel. Awesome. And we'll talk about the book again in a little bit, but did you self-publish or did you traditionally publish? No, I went through a print-on-demand publisher, okay. uh, and it's kind of an interesting story, uh, admittedly a bit flukish, as to how I connected with them. Okay. Um, basically what happened, I had been uh, looking for an agent for about a uh, year, year and a half, with some very, very nice rejection letters, mm-hmm. uh, but hadn't latched really onto anybody, and through a referral was sent to another agent who, once I dropped the referral's name, they said, oh, you know so-and-so, why don't you send me the manuscript? So I did. A few weeks went by, and he said, well, I don't think it's right for me, but here's a publisher I think you might want to talk to, and here's who to talk to, and why don't you drop my name? And I did. And they accepted the manuscript. Um, And after about three weeks, they rejected it. But... In the rejection, they said, we don't think it's right for us, but would you mind if we send another publisher your manuscript? Oh, nice. And, of course, the answer was, duh, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And and about six weeks went by, and I heard absolutely nothing. And I thought, okay, well, you know, chalk it up to experience. And then I got an email literally out of the blue from this publisher saying that, no, we really are very interested and we'd like to talk to you. And that was Strategic Book Publishing out of Connecticut. They are a division of Ingram, which, of course, is a large publisher. Mm -hmm. And uh, next thing I knew, I was looking at a contract. Nice. Very cool. That is a really cool story. Um, When you said print-on-demand, I immediately went to, of course, you know, the total do-it-yourself uh, print on demands, but it's nice that you uh, found a publisher that is print on demand but helpful. <laughs> yeah, very much, very much so. Yeah, I, I did not want to do vanity press at all. I really right. wanted to uh, try to find a publisher. Okay. And now, what are some of the things that they helped you out with? Did they help you out with the editing and the book cover, or how? what types of services did they offer you? 
Yeah, well, they did help me out with the editing. The book cover and the cover art was really a collaborative process between their art department and some of my ideas. I kind of had a couple of basic ideas, but I'm a writer, not an artist. Right. Um, and uh, in com- conversations back and forth with them, came up with a couple of different concepts and narrowed it down. And uh, so I had the ideas, and they actually put it into graphic form. Um, and then, of course, you know, have have done and continue to do some marketing and promotion of the book. Uh, you know, it's on Amazon, it's on uh, BarnesandNoble.com, directly through the publisher as well. So we're uh, and it has recently been issued in reissued, I should say, in paperback. Okay. So uh, that that afforded me another opportunity to kind of relaunch the book, and we're doing some both traditional and social uh, slash media efforts uh, for the relaunch. Okay. So hopefully that will get some more visibility for the book. Uh, is it currently available as an ebook or only as a print book? That's the next step. It is right now, it is currently available only as print book, but it is being converted to Kindle. Okay. And uh, cool. I'm hoping within the next month or so it will be available as a Kindle. Okay. Beautiful. All right. Well, why don't you tell us about your novel, um, how you came up with the idea, and it is a, a pretty interesting. Um, I, I didn't read the book, but I read the synopsis. It sounds like a very interesting story. Well, as I mentioned, it is a political thriller, and it is based actually all on fact. Um, very briefly, it is about a group of multinational corporations who have become so powerful since the end of World War II that they have through money and power and influence can manipulate world events to cause little wars around the globe because that is good for profit. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of uh, capitalism to the farthest extreme, uh, <laughs> war for profit, the, the ultimate business model. Mm-hmm. And they rationalize this by saying, well, a world war is obsolete and the costs are too high, but if we have little wars, we can control that and, of course, we make money. Um, so yes, it's fiction, even though it might sound like uh, non-fiction. And then my two main characters, uh, my hero and heroine, kind of stumble onto this conspiracy and have to decide they have to expose it before the next step, which is the takeover of Russia. So uh, a lot of it was actually based on fact. Uh, I did a lot of research, mostly through sources. Um, and it just, it was an idea I'd had for several years, um, just in reading the news, very honestly, about the growing influence of corporate money and politics and the military industrial complex and all this kind of stuff. And I just took it to the next step and I said, what if, uh, governments are obsolete, political movements are obsolete, the world's really being controlled by corporations. Mm. Um, and uh, so, just took it with a you know a little more creative license, and then started doing some digging and some research, and just found some fascinating things that I had to incorporate into the book. So, uh, it's mostly set in Philadelphia and New York City, but there are scenes from all, all over the globe, okay. um, and uh, set in contemporary times. So, uh, it, it was a lot of fun to re- to research and and to write. So. And it was enough fun that you're going to do a sequel. Yes, I've just actually completed the initial draft of the sequel and bringing back the same main characters. Another political thriller. Uh, this time I don't want to give too much away, but this one involves 
the Catholic Church. Ah. So uh, I learned my research. I learned a great deal more than I ever knew about the Catholic Church. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, you know we'll see. I, I kind of like the way it ended up. So I'm you know the revisions now. Of course, part of it is the development process to make sure that the way it ended, there's continuity in the way I started it, and make sure you know that I didn't accidentally give the Pope a wife in the middle of the story and you know, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, that would be a problem. <laughs> that might be an issue. So I want to, you know, so that's part of the revision process that I'm going through now. And I've got a couple of beta readers lined up. So once I get through the initial uh, edits, I'll give it to them and see what happens. And then we're, I'm hoping in the fall, uh, get ready to send it out and see what happens. Um, well, and it's so. very interesting to me, um, a term I had never heard uh, before this series of podcasts with authors was beta readers. And, of course, mm-hmm. we all have them. We just didn't know it, and we didn't know there was a name for them. You know, like you have people outside your family and friends that you can give your work to to be read. And uh, for the writers that are listening, if you've been listening to our series, this seems to be a recurring theme um, you know, we all let our family and friends read our books, but they're a little too close to us to be really honest. And, you know, they might love pointing out some things that are wrong, but they really don't want to hurt your feelings. So they won't tell you that um, they won't admit to you that they got confused by something. You know, they'll point out your typos and your grammar mistakes, but they won't check your facts or let you know that it's flowing all right. And a beta right. reader that is someone that's outside of your family and friend circle and is uh, a little bit removed is going to be someone who will be reading it. And one of my authors said that she had her beta reader, one of them actually sit in her house and read the books, and she sits there and, like, watches her and watches her reactions to things. And she'll be like, the the writer was like, um, you just went through a part where you were supposed to laugh and your, your expression didn't change. And, right. and the beta reader goes, it wasn't funny. And the right, yes, exactly. yes, it's supposed to be funny. It's really, really funny. Look, read it again. And she read it again. She said, it wasn't funny. Sorry, honey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, how did you manage to find folks like that? Are you part of writers groups or? Um, I, I am now. When I was working on this book, I wasn't. Uh, mm-hmm. But I did join a local writers group through Meetup. And, uh, you know, it, it's. Those writers groups are interesting because you have a wide diversity, everybody from wannabe writers to people who are published authors. And mm-hmm. it's a great, if nothing else, it's a great support group for you. For writers. You realize you're not the only one doing this, you know, in your lonely home or office or whatever. Right. Um, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning pounding out on a laptop while everybody else is sleeping. You know, there right. is, it is a support group, and it really does... You know, there's a variety of ideas, different approaches. It's very stimulating. And it really, I found for me, it really, when I come home from those meetings, I'm really charged up. I want to get back to, to writing. And uh, as all writers do, you know, at, during the process of writing, sometimes you get stuck or sometimes you get discouraged or sometimes you're like, ah, this just isn't coming. I don't know what's wrong. Um, and going to those groups sometimes really get you to step outside and go, oh, okay, yeah, that's right, okay, now I see, oh, yeah, right, oh, good idea, and then you come back and go, oh, yeah, I see what the problem is, now I'll start, I'll fix it. Um, So it really does help you kind of recharge uh, your batteries a little bit. And it gives you a little bit of accountability, right? Like, if you go into the writer's group and you say, you know, I just started the next chapter, and, you know, next month it'll be done, I'll have it for you guys to read, 
you know, and if you come back with nothing, they're, you know, they won't chastise you. They'll understand, but it puts a little pressure on yourself to maybe Absolutely. finish well, your nothing, project. Nothing focuses the mind like a deadline. Exactly. <laughs> so. Exactly. I hate deadlines. I hate schedules. But, um, you know, in some instances, they're very important. And they can help you to, like you said, oh, group meetings tomorrow night. I promise to write such and such by then. I better sit down and, you know, at least give it a college try. And if it doesn't work, I can say, well, I started, but I didn't finish. But if you walk in and you say, I didn't do anything... Yeah. You know. Oh, and I and, and some writers are different. I work better under deadlines, so right. even if you know I give myself a deadline, um, that's okay. Um, and it's just you know, it's writing is great, but it's not always fun. And right. you just you, but but I firmly, firmly believe that, and like any artist, we do it because there's something in our DNA that makes us do it. Because for some of your listeners who may not who you know may uh, have not had anything published yet if you're writing for money you're writing for the wrong reason yeah uh you know very few writers make a living this way um you know the handful but if you you write because you have to write because you have a story that you have to tell even if it's just a family and friends but there's, yeah. we are storytellers whether it's fiction or nonfiction, and you write because you have to, like a painter paints because they have to, or a composer composes because they have to. It's just something in our makeup you have to write. And uh, that's, you know, I write the kind of books I want to read. Yeah. You know, um, I often, sometimes I've gotten asked at book signings or readings or other interviews, you know, who are you writing for? Who's your audience in mind when you're writing? And I'm like, me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm writing the kind of story I would like to read. Not that I haven't read stories like this or similar kinds of genre, things like that, but I haven't read this story. Right. And I'm writing for me first. And if other people like it, that's even better. Um, But I'm writing hopefully to get published, and hopefully people will buy the book, and hopefully people will like it, but I'm writing for me first. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then then once you get the draft done, then you can step out of yourself and say, okay, now... Now that I've got the skeleton down, let me see what, you know, what did I, what did I mess up and let me go back and fix it. And, you know, I like that you said that you got the skeleton down um, because mm-hmm. so many people think that when they finish their first draft, they're done. Need some typos, oh, need some absolute, fixing up. You absolutely know? not. The first, one, of the, one of the great secrets to good writing is rewriting. Yep. Everybody, everybody needs an editor. Shakespeare needed an editor. Everybody <laughs> needs an editor. And if you think nobody, with the possible exception of Mozart, ever got it right the first time. Right. Nobody. Um, the book that, the War Merchants, that, uh, the version that got published is the fourth draft of the book. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so everybody has to go through drafts. I mean, it's just, that's part of the process. And if you're not willing, and it's hard because this is your baby, but if you are not willing to take the red pen out and be ruthless on your first edit, um, you know, I, I had a scene in The War Merchants when I first wrote it. I love this scene. It was one, I had about 20 pages on the scene. It was great. It was suspenseful. It was exciting. It was really great. And I finished it, and I was all excited. And I went back and read it the next day, and I realized it had nothing to do with the story that I was writing. <laughs> It was a terrific scene, and it had nothing to do with, with the, story. the story. We'll and put that yeah. in another notepad and look at it another day and put it in another story or something. Yeah, and I took it out, and I still have it, but I just thought, this is great, but this has nothing to do with my fit. book. So, yeah. You know, you, you have to do that. Um, you know, 
And uh, the other thing I like uh, is that you said that you you prefer to write to a deadline, and you mentioned that you had been a journalist in the past. So you were actually learned your craft and learned it in a deadline situation. Yeah, so, yeah. And, and my background is, is not only journalism, but corporate public relations and corporate communications, and you're always under deadline. Always. So, you know, it's... it's my training helps, and it certainly has helped also with the marketing and the promotion side. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and, you know, I'll be honest with you, Deborah, there are days I sit at the computer and the cursor blinks at me, and I'm <laughs> like, okay, this isn't happening today, and I walk away. Right. Um, but there are also days where it's flowing like crazy, and uh, I had, uh, during course this earlier this year, when I had my spring break, I was home for a week, and I wrote almost 10,000 words in a week. Nice. So, because things were just doing great, and I was determined to work on the book, and, yeah. you know, it just flowed. So, you're going to have days, but that's not an excuse for not getting back to it. Yeah. Now, here's another question I want to ask you, um, mm-hmm. kind of about your writing style, and, and I'm probably going to start asking more authors this, because I'm finding the um, answers to be absolutely fascinating. Um, now, there are a couple of different types of writers. Writers that um, open their brain and just write, is how one of the authors mm-hmm. put it. And others mm-hmm. have to have like a totally pre-done outline um, yeah. with yeah. all their character sketches and their descriptive places and all that in place before they can start to write the novel. Where do you fall in that? Um, well, let's put it this way. It's evolving. <laughs> um, I, my creative process, for whatever reason, I always start in my head at the end. I know what the end of my story is going to be. Okay. What I don't know is how I'm going to get my characters there. But okay. I always know what the, what the climax or the penultimate scene is going to be. I always know how the story is going to end. And then I work backwards. And in my first book, I did not do an outline. It was kind of in my head, it was, but it was also very seat of the pants kind of writing. Um, okay. This one... I am doing kind of a hybrid. Um, I, again, I started with the end. I knew how the story was going to end. Started working backwards. But as I was writing, I was making notes to myself. So I would finish a scene, and it might, and I was kind of, okay, I'm done for the day. But I would make notes so that when I went back in, I could pick up where I left off. Mm-hmm. And now what I'm doing is now that I have finished the draft, which is about 103,000 words right now. Right. Um, now, as I'm going back, I'm now doing an outline. Okay. And one of the techniques I learned was do the outline on index cards, okay. chapter by chapter. Yep. And as I'm editing and doing the outline, what I will eventually end up with is a stack of index cards, at which point I can go through them and look at where are some overlaps, where are some redundancies. Oh, this scene doesn't really work in Chapter 3. I really need to move to Chapter 5 because then this happens. And it becomes like a jigsaw puzzle. And then I will go back and actually wordsmith and go back and rewrite. Um, So I'm doing the outline now after I've done the first draft um, because I know, for example, that there are things I have to go back and fix. Okay. as I was writing it. But I, again, I wanted to get the skeleton down first and then put the flush on it. So I know some writers who, as you said, you know, they outline everything. They have 40 pages on bios of every character and they, you know, they have everything laid out before they start writing. I can't work that way. Maybe yeah. someday I might. But the thing for me, certainly with the second book, is the main characters are back 
and I know these characters so well right. that I don't have to do all the exposition because I know I know who these people are. They're in my head, and it's it's just my heroine. I know how she talks. I know how she acts. I know what she looks like. I know who I've cast in the movie. You know that's yeah, exactly. Thing. <laughs> That's really okay. funny that you say that because my son used to write and he did the exact same thing. As a matter of fact, um, at one point he had written uh, letters. To, he wrote screenplays and he wrote letters to the agents for the actors that he wanted to be in the, you know, independently published movie. Right. And because he could <laughs> he could see in his head who he wanted playing each part. Right. And well, know. and I think that's true of everyone because I know when I'm writing scenes, I I see it in my head. I hear the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And when things are going well, and I think this is part of most writers, this is part of the creative process, find, I find myself, I'm not writing it. Um, the characters are telling me what to say, and all I'm yep. doing is recording it. Yep. So it's very much kind of out there in the Ethernet, and I'm just pulling it down, uh, with, uh, you know, not to get too metaphysical, but that when it's flowing really well, I'm not writing. All I'm doing is telling the story they are telling me to to write. Um, and I'll share a very quick um, anecdote with you about the first book. I got to a point at the where I was writing it at the end of the book where I was in a writer's block. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a there's a transition scene. One of the characters who's the beautiful blonde FBI agent who you don't know if she's a good guy or a bad guy, and it was the bridge to the final scene. And I could not decide. Was she a good guy, a hero, or a villain? I right. couldn't decide. And I must have worked on this for six weeks, and mm-hmm. just nothing was coming. I just couldn't figure it out. So finally, I did what a lot of writers do. I went back to stream of consciousness writing and just sat down one day and said, I am so frustrated, I cannot figure out who this characters. And all of a sudden, the creative dam broke. And the character went in a direction that was about 180 degrees different than I thought she would. <laughs> and as soon as I did it, I thought, oh, my God, that's perfect. That's, that's exactly it. how she has to be. Yep. And, it, and after that, I wrote, like, the last 25 pages of the book, and I was done. Beautiful. So, you know, but it was very much the character went a very different direction than I had envisioned, but it was perfect for the story. And no, I'm not going to tell you if she's a good guy or a bad guy. <laughs> I got to read the book. <laughs> and do you know at the end of the book if she's a good guy or a bad guy, or does she show up in the next book? Uh, well, you got to read the first one, and then hopefully the second one comes out and you'll find out. Yeah, exactly. Um, and now that brings up a good point. Like you said, the characters were talking. Um, I do have a couple of other authors that um, admitted to me that. Like, one uh, one woman had a story that she had been mulling over in her head here and there and, you know, hadn't really started working on. She had a, you know, different kind of a day job. And, and one, one night at 3 o'clock in the morning, the character woke her up and said, go, sit down, start writing. It's time to tell my story. And you've just, you have to do it. And she couldn't ignore it. She had to actually get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and spent two weeks um, or a month, I think she said it was a month because she actually had a break in her uh, her regular job, and she spent a month writing like day in day out, just getting out what this character wanted her to wanted her to write, and okay. you know, people joke about the voices in their heads, and I think artistic and creative people, you know, whether it's a painter that there's a little voice telling him to put the little stroke here or the stroke there, or 
you know, whether it's a writer, you know, tell this story, tell that story. I think we do all have little voices in our heads that are telling us what we, you know, this is what you need to do today. And sometimes they go silent for whatever reason. And and then you do, like you said, you try some kind of writing exercise or you ignore it completely and go for a walk and, you know, take a weekend at the beach. And then all of a sudden in the middle, boom, there it is. Oh, yeah. No, I think it, it definitely percolates in the subconscious. And mm-hmm. when it's ready to come out, it, it comes out. But uh, I've had similar experiences. It's, you know, late at night or something, and I'm tired. I've had a long day, and I lay down, and I'm kind of drifting off to sleep. And all of a sudden, that scene that's been bothering me that I couldn't figure out, all of a sudden, the, the solution becomes very clear. And I know from past practice myself, I need to wake up at that moment turn on the computer and write it down. And if it right. takes 20 minutes, great. If it takes an hour and a half and it's 2 o'clock in the morning when I'm done, doesn't matter. Because if I think too much, I learned once the hard way many years ago, I had a similar experience. I thought, ah, I'll remember that in the morning. And of course I didn't. Right. And so I've learned that, yeah, when the, voice, when the muse is speaking to me, I need to pay attention. It does not matter what the circumstances are. I better pay attention to what the muse is telling me. And just write it down. Even if the next morning I go back and look at it and go, oh my God, that's garbage doesn't matter yeah. and usually it's not garbage usually there's something there I can work with mm-hmm. um, but yeah I, I absolutely I think you're right I think it's part of the creative mind that when you get that idea you, you need to go with it yeah the other something, thing that something is telling you something the other thing that you said that I liked um, was that you said when you're when you're done for the day you write down a few notes about where to go tomorrow one of the things that a writing teacher way back when said to me was, write a partial sentence. Don't finish the sentence, but write a partial sentence about where you want to go next, and then when you read the sentence, you'll remember where it is you wanted to go instead of writing a, a complete thought, um, which yeah. I thought was... Yeah, I, yeah I, 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 like I said, I've learned, learned that more so with this new book that I make notes to myself, so what's, okay, what's going to be the next scene, or sometimes what's the next three scenes, because I'm just physically tired and I can't think straight anymore, but the creative juices are still flowing and I don't want to lose the train of thought, so I make notes to myself so that when I do go back a day or two later, it's like, oh yeah, okay, that's right, that's what I wanted to do. And the other thing, and again, you know, this is just my technique, when I pick up on a scene that I left off on, I will go back a couple of pages look at what I have written to start getting back into the feel of the rhythm and then what it does is it all of a sudden it paints the picture in my head again I'm like okay yes that's where that character was that's what she was wearing this is what was happening okay now we pick up where we left off and that works for me so okay yeah and I think it's really important I'm, I'm really glad that authors are open and willing to share their process because someone else might you know, they're new, they haven't, you know, finished a book before, and they're getting a little bit of, of uh, flack from families and friends, you know, you're always getting up in the middle of the night and writing stuff down, and, you know, uh, this, that, and the other thing, and, and it helps to be able to hear someone like you say, hey, this is the way it is for me, too, so not everybody has time to be able to go out to a local me- a writer's group. So at least they've got some place on the internet they can go where they can hear other authors' voices telling them, "Yeah, the way you write is not wrong." <laughs> no, you know? there is no one way. The other the other thing I learned a long time ago, and I've said this to writers in my writers group: give yourself permission to write crap. Yes, you know, not everything's going to be perfect. That's okay. 
just get the draft done. Yep. Even, even if it's terrible, it doesn't matter. You know, try to write something every day, a sentence, a paragraph. It, you know, I sure, you can set a goal saying, well, you know, I'm going to write a thousand words every day. You know, great, but sometimes life gets in the way. Yeah. And if you only write a paragraph, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Because that's one paragraph closer to where you want to be. So try to write something, you know, okay. every day or every other day. And if you can write a thousand words a day, terrific. Two thousand words a day, terrific. If you can write a hundred words a day, okay, it's something. It's mm-hmm. writing. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, that's all great stuff about the writing process. Now we finished our book, and it's time to move on to the marketing end. So yep. now you've finished a book, and you're and you're in the process of marketing it, marketing it while you're writing your your sequel. Um, tell us a little bit about how you're marketing. First of all, do you have a platform? Do you have a website just for the book, or do you have a website for your author? Both. I have a website for the book, which is www.thewarmerchants.com, mm-hmm. and I'm on Facebook as author Greg Feistman, which is a Facebook page for the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've used a combination of traditional and new media to market and promote um, everything from book signings at Barnes & Noble. I just had two last month in uh, Philadelphia area, two different Barnes & Nobles, to book festivals, to, um, you know, uh, readings and, uh, and everything, to uh, Facebook and LinkedIn and um, things like, you know, what I'm doing now, podcast interviews and mm-hmm. stuff. So you really have to do a combination of both. The thing, and, and, you know, with my background in public relations and marketing as a profession, it helps. Mm-hmm. Um, what writers have to understand, especially new writers, and it, it's hard, um, because nobody knows you, the fact that you wrote a book isn't news. <laughs> it's what have you learned, what expertise have you gained, what knowledge have you gained that you can speak about as a result of writing the book. Um, whether it's the writing process or, you know, things I've learned about the influence of, uh, you know, corporate money and influence and things like that, and now the new book, the things I've learned that I never knew about the Catholic Church, things like that, that's what makes you interesting, not the fact that you wrote a book. So right. what? You know, um, but you have to do, especially as a new author, you have to do it all. You have to do the marketing, the promotion, the PR, um, quite honestly, most publishers, they're going to give you an initial show, but they want to know, especially as a new author, they want to know what you're going to do to promote, help promote the book. Right. Because you both, you have to work together. It, it benefits them and it benefits you if you get out there and get talked about and a buzz and, you know, you, I mean, people can go on my Amazon page for my book and they'll see, you know, reviews and things like that, um, reader reviews. And yet, you got to do it all. I'm on Goodreads, um, you know, writers groups, and you just, you have to constantly keep marketing and promoting yourself because, let's face it, there's a lot of books out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I remember reading an article, an interview a couple of years ago in the New York Times Magazine with James Patterson. Um, and he said it took him five years to sell 20,000 copies of his first book. So even James Patterson wasn't James Patterson when he started. Right. Um, you know, and it was J.K. Rowling and, all, yep. and you know. Uh, Stephen King. And it is <laughs> took 10 years before she got published. Yeah. So 
it's not fun. Um, you're going to get rejected, but you know what? You got to believe in yourself. You mm-hmm. got to believe in your in your own writing. And these days, with independent publishing and things like and self publishing, it's a lot easier than it used to be. But writing the book is only half the story. Yep, that's half the effort. Then you got to get out there and promote it. And you know, you can sell one book at a you know in six hours at a local book festival. Okay, or you know, or none. Um, or you can do really well. I think mean, it just you know it just depends. Uh, but you got to get out there. You got to market and you got to promote it. And there's a lots and lots of information on how to do that through the internet and other places, local writers group. Um, you know, I've I've sold copies of my book to my fellow writers in my writers group. That's another market. Yeah, read, so, writers I, writers read. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's it's really the other half of the equation. Writing the book is the first half. But once you got it out there, you got you have to just promote promote it, promote it, promote it. Tell everybody you know. I've had a lot of success in a couple of professional groups um, that I belong to. I had a, a book party when the book first came out, and I sold 14 copies in an hour. Mm-hmm. Oh, just among professional colleagues. Oh, so, wow, cool. Yeah, so, you know, there's all alumni associations. I've, I've done that. I mean, you name it, you know. Um, so you just got to get out there and, and promote, promote, promote. Now, you brought up something that none of the other authors have actually talked about, and it's actually something that I struggle with, and I shouldn't admit it because I'm in Internet marketing as my main day job. <laughs> Um, LinkedIn. How, as an author, are you using LinkedIn? There are subgroups for authors on LinkedIn okay. that you can join. And it's, a lot of it's actually really interesting because there's a lot of good information. Uh, writers post tips on everything from finding an agent to editing and revising to, you know, how to write, you know, setting a scene. Um, and just, you know, you just post stuff. Um, hey, I'm writing an initial, you know, I finished my initial draft, or hey, I'm having trouble with this scene, any suggestions? Um, again, it's just, you know, the more you get yourself out there, the more visibility, the, the better you, you, better shot um, you're going to get. You, you just never know who might, you know, be interested. And uh, right. so all the social media tools, um, you know, I'm not on Pinterest. I, I confess I don't have a blog. I keep going back and forth about that because on one hand, yeah, I understand the reason for it. On the other hand, I don't want to have to write something every day on a blog. <laughs> I'd rather write my book. Um, and I don't know that I'm that interesting to hear on a blog. Um, I don't tweet. You know, I'm not on Twitter because I just, you know, I don't can't really can't say anything care. in 140 characters. Come yeah, on, and I don't it. care if a friend of mine can't decide what to have breakfast this, for breakfast <laughs> this morning. Um, but I do use the main sites, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, some of the reading and book sites and things like that. And you just, you know, you just got to get out there. And for, for some of your listeners who may wonder, well, how did you get into a Barnes & Noble? It's really easy. You pick up the phone and you talk to the manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and what a traditional bookstore like a Barnes & Noble wants to know is um, what are you going to do to help bring in people to their store? Right. You, they will host you, but what are you going to do to drive traffic? Because that's what the manager of the bookstore is interested in, driving traffic into the store. And if you can help do that through your book signing, they are very open to it. And I've had, very, I've had a lot of success over the last couple of years getting into my local Barnes & Nobles just by picking up the phone and talking to the manager. 
Awesome. And then how did you get people? Yeah. Then how did you get people to go to the Barnes and Noble? Did you like put it out? Everybody. Tell everybody. (laughs) Posted on Facebook. Posted on you know. Just tell everybody, and uh, you know, and especially if it's people who live friend. If you know people who live in that area, yeah, and have them tell their their friends and bring in people and just you know, you just. You can't be shy about this stuff. Okay. you got to get out there and promote yourself. Well, and in the area that you talked about, I mean, in Philadelphia, I'm sure there are a ton of uh, smaller um, bookstores that would be happy to have an author come in and do a reading or do a signing. You know, even if you only brought in 10 people with you, it's, you know. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, as you know, I'm sure independent bookstores are going away, unfortunately. There aren't as many as there used to be, but absolutely, it's another market. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm in the process of trying to set up a couple of author appearances at some area independent bookstores now. And, um, you know, it's, like I said, it's a phone call. It's an email. What do you got to lose? The worst they can say is no. So, yep. you know, yep. you and never the best know. Thing they might, can they happen might is, say yes. Yeah, and the best thing that can happen is they say yes and you forge a relationship with someone that can help you down the road. So. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what happened with me, Deborah. There's a local Barnes & Noble um, that I've gotten, I've built a very good relationship with the store manager who has called me twice in the last year to say, hey, we're having an author event, do you want to come? Nice. There and, you go. Um, you know, sure. And I just did one last month, and he said we're doing another one in October. Um, you know, are you interested in this? And I, I have been at that store now four times in the last year. Yeah. And he said, do you want to come back in October? And I'm like, yes. Yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, so if you can build that relationship with a particular manager, so much the better. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an, another one at a Barnes & Noble in suburban Philadelphia last month. Manager was very nice. We did okay for that night without a lot of promotion. Um, and she said, you know, why don't, you, why don't we do it again later in the year? And I said, great. So, yeah. you know, it's just, you know, it's just, you just can pick up the phone. <laughs> it's really just... just Pick up the phone. Don't be obnoxious about it. Just pick up the phone. Well, and there's so many people that rely on just the Internet, and I fall into that trap because, like I said, my day job is Internet marketing. So I'm like, okay, if I put some books up, I should be able to market this myself. And then you realize that, you know, okay, you've got to get out of your comfort zone and get out of your comfort circle, and you get excited when you sell a book to somebody that you don't know their name. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I, you know, the last, most recent uh, Barnes and Noble parents I did. I I had some you know a woman and her husband walked by and I hadn't they didn't know me and I didn't know them and I just started smiling and we started talking and I told them a little bit about the book and the woman looked at the wife said wow that sounds like a great read for the beach and I said sure and she goes I have to read this <laughs> yep so you know sold a copy that's all that's all I'm looking for yeah because you don't know who they know and if they like the book. Word can spread. Word of mouth is the best PR there is. Well, and like you just said, you don't know who they know. The guy might be a professor at a local college that's teaching a creative writing course, and he wants a book for his students to read. And well, he's fact, looking for new fact, material. I'm working, I'm working on that very thing for the fall with one of my local colleges, the, the college I'm an alumni from. I've met the head of their graduate creative writing program who has read my book mm-hmm. and is interested in possibly using the book as an example for her fall class and of course you know i would be 
happy to come down one night and talk to her class. Yeah. You know, which is the best of all possible worlds because then they've read the book and then they're talking to the author. Yeah. Live. So that's, you know, that's perfect. So, yeah, those are the kinds of relationships you have to build. And they're not hard to do. You just do a little research, find out who's the right person to call or email and, you know, contact them. There you go. It's all about networking. You know, people, different people call it different things. And in the yep. last couple of days, it was really funny that I came across a couple people that both said, I didn't know I was networking. I just knew I was smoozing and talked to people. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know there was a name for it. I just knew it was something yeah. that I was really good at doing. So, um, you know, if you're a good networker, make sure you are talking about your um, book no matter what. Uh, you know, I have little, like most writers do, I have little promotional postcards. Whenever I'm going to, you know, a social event or a professional networking event, I always have them with me. And you just make conversation and say, you know, what do you do? Well, I'm an author. Oh, really? What have you written? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you, yeah. You know, and, and then here's you a postcard the... and yeah. you know, I've got my Amazon address and my website address and my publisher's address. And, you know, if you're a little description, a little synopsis, and if you're interested, why don't you check it out? Yeah. You just never know. You, you sell you... one book. It's worth it. <laughs> well, I was going to ask if you had any parting thoughts, but I think we've we've pretty pretty much covered just about anything. But if you did have one tip, and you could only give somebody one tip, what would it be? Don't give up. Be persistent. Um, you're going to get rejected by agents and publishers and all, but but you know there is no such thing as an overnight success. Um, just keep going. You know, believe in your own ability and just keep going. And if you, you know, re- and finish, especially for new authors, uh, fiction authors, finish the book. Yes. Don't send query letters to, to agents. They want to know, can you finish the book? Because they get everyday great query letters with great ideas and they never get a finished manuscript. Because if an agent wants to see the manuscript, they're going to send send you an email or call you and say, okay, let me see the first three chapters, and you better have those first three chapters ready to go. So, so for new authors especially, finish the book first. Yep, and, and finish the first draft and consider it a skeleton to go back and rewrite it. <laughs> I, yeah, I love it, that. It, it's not going to be perfect. It, yep. it never is, and that's okay. Yeah. Well, Greg, it's been awesome talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your experiences with us. Um, tell us again uh, where, where people can find you on the internet. Yes, again, it's uh, www.thewarmerchant.com um, and the other, uh, my publisher's website, uh, which also has, um, I'm sorry, also has a uh, page for the book as well, is, uh, hang on one moment, it is... www.sb.com backslash Greg Feistman. Okay, awesome. Um, those will, the links will all be in the show notes, of course, but the, uh, the reason I have you give them out to the folks is because a lot of people listen to us on iTunes and um, you know during, from different podcatchers, and they haven't actually landed on the website yet. So um, the other thing that you'll be able to do if you want to re-listen or if you want to make any comments is you can come to bookgoodies.com and do a search for Greg, and his podcast will pop up. 
and probably links to his books as well. And um, we would like you to leave us comments. And if you would like to be a guest, we have a, a button at the top of the website that you can click on contact us and, and offer to be a guest or uh, suggest a topic that you'd like to hear more information about. You know, do you want to hear more about how, you know, rewriting or more about creating the first draft or more about uh, ideas to kick the kick down the writer's block? Um, you know, let us know what you're looking for. And we also have a link for tell us about your book. So if you're an author and you don't have time for a podcast or not sure you want to do one, just go in and, and put your uh, book information in and people can look it up and find it on our website. And this is all at no cost to you. So I'm not trying to rope you into something that we're going to charge you for. Um, we would love to thank geekcast.fm for hosting all of our podcasts, um, including the Book Goodies podcast and many others about internet marketing and working from home. I know a lot of authors are work-at-home moms and dads, and um, there's a couple of work-at-home dads podcasts, and I've just started a podcast for work-at-home moms and dads that uh, we'll be putting up uh, shortly. And uh, as always, I want to thank you for listening. Thank you, Greg, once again. And you we can, you can find me at twitter.com slash loxley, L-O-X-L-Y, or you can go to my website, which is debracarney.com. And uh, thanks again, everybody, and keep writing, and have a great day.